Welcome to Career Buzz, the unique radio conversation that empowers lives, enriches careers, and energizes organizations. I'm Mark Franklin, practice leader of a team of professional career counselors at CareerCycles.com and co-founder of One Life Tools. I'm pleased to be your host on Career Buzz. Do artists retire? Does creativity diminish with age? The Canadian Artists Network is the voice of Canada's elder professional artists across all disciplines. It offers programs that enable artists to remain relevant, connected, informed, and motivated. Artists don't retire. Their creativity and skills do not diminish with age. Creativity lives forever. The Canadian Artists Network raises the awareness and value of these artists as resources for the future and role models for emerging talent. Today on Career Buzz, we speak to a mentorship pair through the network, mentee Sonia Jamiti, a writer, director, and producer, and her, her mentor, celebrated Canadian director Guy Madden. But first, I'm joined by Canadian Artist Network Executive Director Scott Walker about the career and life implications of the network and his own broadcasting career story. Scott Walker, welcome to Career Buzz. Thank you, Mark. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. What do you like about what you're doing, your career, and all the things you're doing these days? It is never dull. <laughs> it's always changing there's always something different going on uh whether it's in my career as an artist or my career as the executive director of the canadian artist network and what so what are all the different hats that you wear what are you doing these days um primarily i'm running the canadian artist network i'm the only staff member so it's it's at least a full-time job sometimes more than a full-time job so i am dealing with the board. I'm administering all our programs. I'm doing advocacy work. I'm keeping the books. I'm, you know, you name it, I'm doing it. Um, and then I've still got a performing career. I do a radio show. Uh, so I'm working on that every week. And um, so, yeah, it's never dull. Nice. What's the radio show? It's called The Musical Milestones, and it's on an internet radio station called cashboxradio.ca. And I talk about the stories behind the musical milestones. For example, this month is the 60th anniversary of the Beatles first making the North American charts. So I talk about that. Nice. What was the song that was? I want to hold your hand. <laughs> Love I want to hold your hand. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe we'll play that in a moment on the show sure. here. <laughs> so, so you know, you've had quite a, a storied career, Scott. What what skills do you use to be successful, both in your performing and, and artistic career and in this uh, leadership role? Uh, skills. Well, I guess the performing skills, obviously. Um, I started out as a singer, um, so I've done a lot of singing. I've recorded. Uh, I've done a lot of musical theater. And so there was an obvious skill as a singer and as an actor, because I've done a lot of theater. Um, and then there's my ability to communicate as a broadcaster, uh, because my career really started in radio. Um, and uh, that has taken me through my career. I've bounced back and forth between radio and theater and sometimes film and television, commercial recording. Um, and then later on in life, I started producing, and that's what led to uh, my job as uh, as executive director here at CAN. And as a producer, 
and as an executive director, what are those skills? What do you need to be a successful executive director? You need to be able to keep many balls in the air. There was a um, anybody who's old enough to remember the Ed Sullivan TV show where the, the Beatles made their North American debut. Uh, there was once or twice a year, there was a guy who spun plates. He'd, he'd put the plates on the end of a stick and he'd start spinning them and he'd have six or seven of them going at the same time. And one of them would slow down and start to wobble and he'd have to run back over and get that one going again. And then there'd be one falling over here. So that, that describes my job in many ways, because I am doing so many different things uh, with can. So like I say, it's never dull. Right on. So um, we might call that multitasking. I like the um, for sure. Keep yeah. many balls in the air. The metaphorical version of it is quite nice. Yep. Yeah, for sure. So, so you've mentioned uh, this uh, network, the Canadian Artists Network. Um, what is it? How does it work? The Canadian Artists Network was founded uh, after a three or four year survey that took place between 2008-2010 um, called the Senior Artist Research Project. And it was a survey that looked into the lives of senior artists, elder artists, um, experienced professional artists to find out what their living situation was. And it found out that they they have many of the same concerns as seniors in the general population, housing and health care and finances and social isolation is a very big one. Uh, but it also found that artists don't retire. It's not in our DNA. You know, we don't, you know, 65 doesn't necessarily mean, okay, I'm done doing that because there's a need, a drive that keeps artists going. But ageism is still very alive. And that's one of the things that we are working to uh, to combat at Cannes. Uh, we want to make sure that people are aware that just because an artist is over 50, over 60, over 70, over 80, that doesn't mean that they're not working and then they're not doing their very best work. So we provide uh, not only advocacy on their their behalf, but we offer skills development and we offer a mentoring program because these are artists who have 60 years, sometimes more worth of experience and skills, and they need to be able to share it just to keep the skills alive. You know, it's like a resource that suddenly ceases without being shared. And that's a big mistake. So we have a mentoring program that uh, helps older artists share what they know with uh, their younger colleagues. Great. Let's, I want to dig into that mentoring program a bit, sure. but you said something about artists don't retire and, you, you know, we're speaking at a time when, well, I, you know, retirement is really changing its character for everybody. And mm -hmm. as the demographics in North America change and people live longer and people want to stay active, uh, you know, I think there's this quality that everybody has of wanting to have more, longevity in their work, even though it may change character. So what, what does that mean? If artists don't retire, what is the um, artistic version of that now? And how, like, you know, we, we connect artistic quality with creativity. And does creativity diminish with age? No, it doesn't. Uh, in fact, our tagline at Cannes is creativity lives forever. Uh, people who have started their careers as artists are building on 
their skills and their natural talent. And that doesn't shut off at 65 or 75 or 85. They are continuing to create. Sometimes they need assistance in adapting to new technologies and new ways of doing things, and we provide some help there. But uh, creativity doesn't go away. It's always there. And so as artists age, they become part of, let's say, your organization. What are what are some examples or stories of, of the non-retirement of artists? Um, well, I can, I mean, I can talk about some artists who are um, still working into their 90s, who are, there was a, a, a visual artist, um, painter in Ottawa who wrote me a letter one day to say that she's 85. Well, actually she said 85 and a half, I guess, like when you're a kid, that half year is become significant again. Yeah. And she said that she has physical challenges. Her arms, uh, because of arthritis are very difficult, but she has rigged a series of pulleys that allow her to suspend her arms so that she can still hold a paintbrush and work. And she had just been asked to uh, uh, commission a portrait for one of the judges on, I think it was the Federal Court of Canada. So there she was at 85, overcoming physical challenges and still creating and still being asked to create. Lovely. Yeah. My my guest today is Scott Walker. He's the executive director of the Canadian Artists Network. I'm your host, Mark Franklin, here on Career Buzz. Um, so Scott, the mentoring program you mentioned, mm -hmm. that so that sounds pretty interesting. Uh, people with all these um skills and experiences are are sharing it with with younger folks, both in part to keep their own skills sharp, as you mentioned, um, but also to now impart some of that to younger folks coming into the sector. Yeah. So so how, how does that mentoring program work? Well, I should point out that there's another reason for um, for people wanting to mentor through our program. Uh, everything that you said is very important and is very true. But there's also another challenge that artists have as they get older, and that is being able to keep body and soul alive, finding a way to uh, keep their their home um be able to afford to live basically because artists traditionally make a lot less money than the Canadian average. The latest uh, information is that the median income of a professional artist is 54% of that of the national average. And artists don't qualify for a pension because their income is low. They, uh, uh, or has been traditionally low. They don't uh, have a lot of money to put into a, an RRSP. Um, consequently, their CPP payments are low. So artists need to work in order to keep living. Um, and we pay the artists uh, a stipend. It's not much. It's $3,000 to mentor one of their colleagues for six months. Um, so we, we help with that regard. But for most artists, even after the official mentorship is over, they continue um, mentoring their mentee unofficially because it's just, it's that need to give, it's that need to share and to continue the uh, tradition of the arts. So we, um, we have a, a roster of 
uh, mentors uh, on our website. And then we have young young artists, mostly young, some of them are older as well, um, applying to be mentees. And we will match them up and they'll meet the artist, uh, the, the two artists will meet. They will discuss what they want to achieve through the mentorship. They will discuss if they actually want to work together because it's, you know, it's kind of like a marriage in many ways or any kind of a partnership. Sometimes the personalities don't work and they say, no, I don't think this is for me. Uh, but generally speaking, it's, yeah, let's, let's do it. So we ask them to provide a, a mentoring plan that gives us a sense of what they hope to accomplish over the six months and a timeline for achieving them. And it's a way for us to keep tabs on what they're doing and track their uh, achievements and then off they go and we as i say we pay the mentor three thousand dollars for the six months we also pay expenses uh, for mentees up to fifteen hundred dollars so they've got they've got some uh some money to spend on things that they are using to develop their skills on the under the direction of the mentor Oh, great. I'll, I'll put a link to the program on our show page because I'm on it as we're speaking here. And there's a bunch of wonderful videos of mentor-mentee pairs with their stories. Um, you, you mentioned the the money part, like the, mm -hmm. um, the stipend that the mentor gets and the mentee as well. So there's a financial component to this. How, how does that work? How does the mentor program get funded? Well, we have a variety of sources of funding um, at the moment as we're speaking. Uh, TD Ready Commitment has given us a substantial um, commitment um, to fund the mentoring program. We have had other corporate uh, sponsors in the past. Power Corporation, we've got private philanthropists who have uh, supported the program in the past as well. So we have a variety of sources uh, that fund the program. Wonderful. So, you know, there's all these interesting stories here, you know, is there, and, and we hope to speak to somebody in a few minutes about their experience there, but I, there's some really well-known names as the mentors there and some mentees. Is there any uh, mentor-mentee pair that stands out for you? One of my favorite stories is a um, mentor by the name of Guy Madden, who is a very, very highly regarded filmmaker. He's based in, in Winnipeg. And he mentored uh, a young filmmaker named Sonia Dimitri, who's uh, from Montreal. And through his mentoring, she developed a film called Outside My Window. It's just a short film. It's a film on agoraphobia and mental health and it's got a dance component. And the film was entered in um, film festivals around North America and Europe and won several prizes. And uh, we helped to make that, uh, that happen. We helped uh, pay for the applications to the film festivals. So that's, that's one of my favorite stories. But we've also helped uh, artists record um, music We've helped artists put together uh, podcasts and online uh, web TV series and uh, um, uh, visual arts and, and books and just about you name a kind of discipline, artistic discipline. And we have helped an artist in that discipline develop their skills. 
Beautiful. Great, great story. So, so not only does the program help fund the mentor mentee, but if there's a, the germ of an idea, like the story of the film that you just mentioned that comes out of it, then there's additional funding that people can access to kind of work on those projects. Is that how it works? That's right. Um, we've had, uh, quite a few um, play development uh, mentorships and the um, the mentee is a able to hire actors to do a reading of her play or his play uh, as part of the program and hire a studio and a director and maybe some uh, some dramaturg work nice well so they are all kinds just there are all kinds of of um, expenses that will come up and they vary from discipline to discipline, of course. And the network I see is a registered charity. So I suppose yes, we should indeed. take a moment here and you can let listeners know if they feel like this is a great program and they wanted to donate, what should they do? Well, the best thing to do is go to our website, which is canartnet.ca. And there is a donate page and they can make a secure donation online. And we would welcome it because we always uh, need funding, as every charity does. We need funding to continue our work. Um, and so any any amount is is very welcome by us. What would happen if this network did not exist? Um, I think one of the things that would happen is that older artists with decades of experience would have no way to share it with their younger colleagues. Their younger colleagues wouldn't have a way to um, further their skills once their formal training has ended. Uh, artists wouldn't have, uh, older artists especially, wouldn't have ways to um, keep their skills alive through our webinars on things like intellectual property or legacy preservation, uh, social media, publicity, lots of other things that we offer. And there's a certain networking thing. The thing about being an artist, generally speaking, is it's often a solitary way of living. Um, you know, painters work in their studios. Uh, writers work at their word processors. Even dancers and singers and actors, although they often work in groups, between gigs, they're sitting by the phone or they're studying on their own or they're developing their skills. So it's a very, very solitary life. And we provide some sense of uh, community so that people don't forget or don't um, get the impression that they're alone out there, that there is a community and, they, and they're not alone. Right on. So, so I know in other industries, there's a similar thing going on. AFC uh, for working actors, artists mm -hmm. used to be at Artist Fund of Canada. And I know they have like a regular drop-in, like a Zoom drop-in for people across the country. Um, and I see your network does something similar. Is that what the On Salons does? That's exactly what it is. Um, the On Salons, the official name is the Online Salon, but we call it the On Salon. And it's a regular meeting online on Zoom of our uh, community. Um, and it's just a chance to talk about what's going on in their lives or talk about what's going on in the world and to share stories, share inspiration, share ideas. And just, again, be reminded that uh, they're part of a community. And I'll just put a plug in for um, 
you know, active artists. I know we've done some work with artists, uh, AFC, afchelps.ca, and their their program is called designating de designated sharing time. And it's it sounds like it's the same kind of thing where uh, I think once a month people can come together and connect and and just address some of the isolation that seems to naturally happen, and especially since the pandemic where isolation was so common. Yes, indeed. I mean the uh, the pandemic heightened what was already there for a lot of artists and the afc is a perfect example we work very closely with the afc in fact the uh, director of the afc the executive director is on my board so we we have a lot of cross collaboration with the afc and other artistic organizations super so it sounds like a, a really wonderful program and charity, Scott. Thanks for for telling us about it. And like anything that. else like coming up or big challenges or projects in the pipeline at the network? Um, well, we always have challenges. You know, funding is always a challenge. Trying to find the next uh, envelope of funds to keep the organization going. Um, we're always looking for new sources of funding, be it corporate, individual, or government. Uh, so that's always a challenge. Right now, we are, even though we just finished two months ago our annual conference, uh, maintaining creativity, um, we are already working on the next one. So uh, that's that takes a lot of work and a lot of planning, and we're already working on it. And it's probably eleven months out uh, until we actually do it. But there's no time to sit around and go, "Well, that was fun." No. We got to we got to work on the next one. Uh, are so you seeking uh, are you seeking volunteers or other men mentors if listeners are interested and want to plug in and get get involved? Uh, we're always looking for volunteers. The the conference itself, we're not looking for volunteers at this point, but we're always looking for mentors who uh, who want to share their skills. Uh, and we're always looking for people who just want to join the community if they're professional artists, older professional artists. Uh, who would like to gain a sense of community, we'd love to have them join us. And it doesn't cost anything. My guest today is Scott Walker. Uh, among many other things, he's the executive director of the Canadian Artists Network. I'm your host, Mark Franklin, here on Career Buzz. Uh, so, Scott, let me shift gears. You, you know, in addition to being this executive director, I know you've done a lot of work and theater and performing and music. And so I wonder if I could take you back to your own career story and just learn um, maybe one or two turning points that happened in your story. Um, and, you know, if listeners aren't familiar with you, where did where did it all begin? And what's a, what's a first turning point you can take us into? I think probably the first one when I was, I was 12 years old and my parents dragged me to what was then called the O'Keefe Center, so I'm dating myself, it's now the Meridian Hall uh, in downtown Toronto, to see a touring production of a musical called Kismet. They dragged me in. They had to keep my feet on the ground when we left because I discovered what I wanted to do with my life. I was just mesmerized by the experience, and I decided I want to do that for the rest of my life. Uh, and fortunately, as it turns out, I have a good voice, a good singing voice. I know what to do with a song. So um, I decided, okay, I'm, I'm going to become a singer and I'm going to work on musical theater. Now, at the time, unfortunately, there wasn't a lot of musical theater happening in Canada. So I wasn't sure how I was going to do this. And my father, who was in the business, said, okay, here's what you do. Go into radio, 
and go to Winnipeg because Winnipeg has it all. Winnipeg has an active uh, broadcasting uh, company or uh, broadcasting market, and it also has a lot of arts. There's a lot of theater going on, and people in Winnipeg uh, really follow their local uh, media people and will go and see them if they're performing. So I, I did that. That and it worked out. It was it was great. I didn't go straight to Winnipeg. I had to serve my apprenticeship uh, in a small station for two or three years uh, before I gained the experience to go to Winnipeg. So I went to Winnipeg, and I happened to land in Winnipeg at the same time as Len Cariou. Now, Len Cariou's name is probably best known to anybody who watches Blue Bloods on uh, TV, plays Tom Selleck's father, but Len has an incredible. Uh, background in theater, multiple Tony Award winner, um, and uh, he he was originally from Winnipeg, and as I arrived in Winnipeg, he was coming back to run the Manitoba Theater Center. He'd uh, just been hired as artistic director, so I got to work with Len on three shows, and that that was a big springboard for me. So I think those are those are two very big. Um, starts to my career as a performing artist so if i've got it right the first clue was this 12 year old you going to the show at, at the center kismet um so th there's a clue you know not every 12 year old has clarity and it can be a very confusing time and if anybody's listening to us in their teens and early 20s it's not often clear did you hold that idea the whole way you know post-secondary people are wondering how to dots connect from my interests to my post-secondary education. So how did that dream of the 12-year-old stick for the next 10 or 12 years? Uh, well, I mean, I didn't, I, I suffered the same insecurity and uh, lack of clarity as to how I was going to do it, how I was going to make it happen, especially because, as I say, there was not a lot of musical theater happening on a professional level in Canada at the time. But I took the time to prepare myself. I played in the coffee houses. I learned how to play guitar. So it, at least I was singing. Uh, and unlike a lot of my contemporaries, I was doing musical theater. I was doing Broadway repertoire in coffee houses with a guitar. Um, and I studied at the Royal Conservatory of Music, studied voice all the way through my university. I performed in university shows. So I just, I, I kept, kept the dream alive and I slowly developed my chops as a performing artist. Right on. Um, so you were in university. What did you study? <laughs> my major was economics. So which, yeah. How do the dots connect from, <laughs> from that to everything else? Well, I, I was always interested. I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't even know what economics was when I started in university, but it was my, one of my introductory courses. And I thought, I kind of like this. I've always been interested in numbers and how they work. Um, so I made that my major. And that has helped me as the executive director of the Canadian Artist Network and in my producing days as well, because uh, I learned the financial aspects of of producing. Right on. I love that. Yeah. Like sometimes people don't know why they're doing what they're doing. And then years later, it's like, oh, I see how that economics degree actually is helping me in this very different field. 
Yeah. So, you know, it's not always what it appears to be. The dots don't need to connect so tightly between the education and then the thing that happens afterwards. But I hear that you took a lot of inspired action and that during your university years, you were performing, you were learning guitar. So you were taking those actions. I, I'm impressed with the picking up and going to Winnipeg. Um, you know, and these days, I don't know what it is. Is it a Canadian thing? I, you know, I was just in the States last month and people in the U.S. seem to move around a lot. But in, in Canada, maybe they don't. And what, what would you say to, to a young person setting out if they realize like, oh, my career could really take off if I just picked up and went to, you know, point A or point B, but they're reluctant to do so? What, what advice would you give them? Do it. If you think it'll help, do it. Uh, it may not work right away, but it can't be a bad thing because you're, you'll still be learning. Um, it may not be the answer to all of your questions. Uh, Winnipeg, I had lived in Winnipeg as a child. My father had been on radio as a child or when I was a child in Winnipeg. So that's why he suggested Winnipeg. And I ended up working at the same radio station he had 20 years earlier. Um, it was a big, big jump. And for those of us in the performing arts, um, we lead something of a nomadic life anyway, because if you're in theater, you go where the work is, and it's not necessarily where you live. I did most of my work when I was uh, performing on stage around the country. I didn't work a lot in Toronto, uh, even though it was my home base. So take the plunge, especially if you're young. Well, right what on. have you got to lose? And you, you know, earlier you shared with us that the typical artist's income is quite a lot less than the national average. How, mm -hmm. how did you make out, Scott, in your in your career? You've done a lot of different things. And how, how did you make out from that perspective? Well, I didn't um, I didn't leave uh, lead a, a cushy lifestyle. I had uh had some challenges. I didn't have a lot of money. I've never had a lot of money. I had some good years. I, I managed to do some um, some commercial work for Ford of Canada uh, as, a, as a voiceover uh, spokesperson. And that, that fed into my RRSP, which I am now benefiting from. Um, but it's uh, it's always a challenge for a performing artist, which is why I've bounced back and forth between radio and theater and now um, administration, because if one area dries up, I've been lucky enough that I could kind of move into another area and uh, change change gears, as it were. In fact, the work that we did with the AFC during the strikes in the, mm -hmm. the U.S., the, both the actors and the writers strike, right. really made a lot of entertainment work dry up in, in Canada. Oh, yeah. And so we did a number of interviews with uh, with performers and other people in the entertainment sector about doing alternative things that generate income. And there was a stigma against it. You know, and, and um, some people were like, I would try and draw them out to say, you know, this is actually a good thing to be more resilient and robust um, and to have those things, like you just said, bouncing back and forth. What, what from your own personal experience, having done that, what can you share with listeners about that need? Well, I know for someone who has um, a burning desire, like, for example, when I when I was younger and wanted to be a singer, I know a lot of people in the arts will say, I am a painter, or I am a writer, or I am a singer. And anything that deviates from that is not leading me towards my goal. And there is a lot to be said for that. I mean, that's that 
can be very true. Um, but who knows, for example, if I didn't have the ability in radio or in administration, what would have happened to my singing career? I might have been forced to focus more on my singing career and find the answer to some challenges. So it's it's a fine line between doing that one thing that you really want to do, especially if you happen to do it well, and saying, okay, I need to take a break from that because the rent is due and I need to find a way to pay it, you know? So there's, there is, I can see both sides of it. Right on. It sounds like, uh, and you've lived that more, that resilient side. I have indeed. Great. And I'm here to tell the tale. As you have. Thanks so much, uh, Scott Walker, <laughs> for joining us. If people want to find out more, um, first about the the network and then about you, how do they do that? Uh, they can find out about the network on our website. Again, it's canartnet.ca. Uh, and they can find out about me on my website, which is scottwalker.ca. Right on. Scott Walker, thanks so much for joining us here on Career Buzz today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. You're listening to Career Buzz on CIUT 89.5 FM in Toronto and worldwide at CIUT.FM. Stories show that who you are matters. I'm your host, Mark Franklin, and before continuing on with today's show, I want to let listeners know about Career Buzz podcast episodes of inspiring career stories. Go to careercycles.com and click podcast or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Have a listen to Career Buzz with two more interviews of entertainment professionals. Uh, on December 6th, it was Birgit Solom and Tony Napo. And on November 25th, it was actor and director Rex Hagen and Jenny Young, an actor, writer, and producer who also leads a Toronto shoeshine company, Penny Loafers Shoeshine. Go to careercycles.com and click podcast or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Did you know you can also find Career Buzz on Facebook? We have links to past episodes, pictures, and more. Go to facebook.com slash careerbuzzshow. Now, let's get back to today's episode. Coming up on Career Buzz, we speak to a mentorship pair through the Canadian Artists Network, mentee Sonia Jamiti, a writer, director, and producer, and her mentor, celebrated Canadian director Guy Madden. Welcome to uh, Career Buzz, Sonia Jamiti and Guy Madden. Thanks so much for joining us today. Both of you are part of a mentorship program at the Canadian Artists Network. Um, Sonia, can you get us started? How did this, how did you get connected to the mentorship program and how did this start for you? Yeah, I, um, in 2019, I um, received the 2019 award uh, in media arts for production um, through the Equity Showcase Kiltrinan Awards. And with that award, um, I was lucky enough to, uh, to have a mentorship included with the award and they asked um who you would like to be who 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 would be your be your ideal uh <laughs> mentor and um and guy was at the top of my list luckily he said yes <laughs> nice and and guy madden on your end so how did you get involved and then how did you hear this first uh question that came from scott about being a mentor it was just like Sonia says, it was um, I, I just Scott sent me an email and asked and told me a bit about Sonia and um, asked if I'd be interested in doing it. I like teaching and being a mentor isn't the same as teaching. 
but it draws on my experiences teaching. I guess I've been teaching at university, various universities since the late 90s. University of Manitoba for the longest. And then I even got a job at Harvard for three years. And, and then the last few semesters that I've taught have been at um, University of Toronto. Great, great programs um, in all those places. I learned to love teaching. It's really satisfying. And um, so I thought I, I might be able to enjoy doing this, not just do it and endure doing it, but in, enjoy doing it. And, and it turned out my hunch was right. I was able to adapt teaching to mentoring and it was, it was a pleasure. Nice. So Sonia, since 2019, so that's now, um, almost five years, depending on when you started, we're in oh 2024. Yeah. <laughs> what, so, so what, what were you hoping to gain if you can take us back to 2019 when it all started? Uh, honestly, uh, everything. Um, it was my, I had been working in film, uh, in the art department for over a decade, but, um, directing was, uh, was new. Uh, it was my very first short. So, um, any, any, any advice I, I was happy to, um, to take <laughs> for my very first film. Yeah. So, um, I think one of the things that I really was hoping for was, um, just to get insight into, uh, guys process, um, which, which I, I certainly had, um, that was one of the, one of the very first things was just because it just felt, uh, I, I put a lot of pressure on myself for, for my first project. I treated it like it was the last thing I was ever going to make. Um, <laughs> so, uh, there was an intensity to that. <laughs> uh, so I, yeah, everything, I just wanted to take it all in. I really appreciated Sonia's, uh, prep. She, she's not exaggerating that she treated this like it was the last not just the last project, but maybe the last thing she was going to do on on the planet. I've never encountered in my 25 years of teaching hundreds of students, someone who is more willing to prep. This is the project, at least the English title, I believe, is Outside My Window. Yeah, and yeah. So do you want to just say a bit about the project? And it seems Guy is saying that there was a, like, a lot of reassurance that he was offering. So just say a little bit about the project, if you could, and how, how uh, Guy was helpful. Yeah, no, um, it, was, um, it was a very personal short um, about uh, my own mental health struggles. And I was using movement uh, and dance as a, as a form of expression. Um, and so with that, um, I sort of jumped in and didn't really think too hard about the implications of that, <laughs> of, um, of creating something that was so personal right out of the gate. Um, and I, I have joked uh, with that guy around that I feel like he was my therapist many times. Um, <laughs> well, uh, I definitely would have encouraged you to go as personal as possible. I always, I always encourage the personal because it's usually something that can be done on a human scale, but you were, you were crazy because you turned your, um, your personal, um, fears or discomforts or whatever you want to call them into dance <laughs> i've you know it was it was i'd been making movies for 15 years before i 
shot aimed a camera at a dancer ever you know so but you you started right out of the gate it's kind of insane uh yeah i um i uh yeah i feel i'm just gonna say i feel like you're underselling how critical you were for my success <laughs> um <laughs> uh and one one of the you know one of the things that has really meant a lot to me was yes that there was everything leading um guy helping me with all the technical aspects aspects of things that I would have if I had questions and um those kinds of things but it was really having somebody who I uh I greatly respect and who I you know I would source as a as as inspirational for me uh with with guy's career for him to to be um offering me encouragement and uh, keep going and and all of those things uh, is was monumental for me. Um, and I would even say, after the film was once it was finished, that was really um, you know, guy was technically you know off the clock, and he was still writing me wonderful words of encouragement. And um, you know, twenty twenty was a terrible time to finish a film, which was when uh, <laughs> when I released it. <laughs> And, um, yeah, there, there was a lot of, it, this is all new for me. Uh, there's insecurities and guy never once made me feel, um, like an amateur or, uh, which I, you know, I am, uh, <laughs> hmm. he, he made me feel like a colleague and I always appreciated that as well. And he didn't, um, try to put, uh, uh, his own thumbprint on it either. He was very open with his advice which is also um the sign of a wonderful mentor and teacher because he he sort of guided me but he never tried to force uh, his own point of view on onto things as well yeah right. thanks i felt that my own point of view has has helped me a lot like my own approach to filmmaking but it's always felt like the world has almost one too many guy maddens already and uh, i certainly wouldn't i'd feel terribly guilty if i made a second one I don't know. There's just no way to keep growing if you don't just keep making stuff, you know. So I would encourage you now, right here, uh, uh, during this podcast, to keep going, keep working, make another. Thank you, guy. Oh, my my uh, head's exploding a little bit right now. <laughs> so, uh, my guest, uh, my guest today are uh, Sonia Jamiti and Guy Madden on Career Buzz. I'm your host, Mark Franklin. Um, you, you know, you, you talk about uh, the mentee-mentor relationship, and it looks like it's one way. Um, I've been a mentor with uh, something called Big Brothers Big Sisters for many years, and I know I've learned a lot from my mentee. So, Sonia, what, what do you think Guy learned from you as you went through that project? <laughs> oh, my goodness. A piece of advice uh, Guy gave me when uh, that first year with, with, with COVID, when I had released the short and film festivals were going down and they were cutting their numbers. And right yeah, on. I would, I would maybe say that maybe it, it might've triggered some, some uh, mirroring thoughts maybe from when he started Absol out. But. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's very <laughs> film is always may not seem like it when you meet some filmmakers, but the industry is pretty humbling. It can be pretty crushing at times. And just speaking with Sonia reminded me of, when I was beginning, there were a couple of filmmakers, the twin brothers, the brothers Quay, these animators that were 
very, I wrote them some fan, I think fan mail. When I, when I first met them, there wasn't even faxes to my knowledge yet. And then everyone, the late nineties, everyone got faxes and I would write them fan faxes and they wrote and send them some of my movies. And they were very encouraging and they were very important to me. I admired them like crazy and res beyond respect. I idolized them, but their response to the films, which is almost always positive and encouraging, but they had very tactful ways of pushing back against some aspects of them. And it was just invaluable what they did for me just by being nice and by watching the films and getting back to me. And I sort of felt, um, I saw in Sonia, my just a, a much younger version of myself. And I realized um, how useful it could be, how, how nice some people had been to me. And it just seemed like um, I should try to be like them to her somehow because it was without them i don't know if i would have continued and then i you know well, i think because... you just put your finger on it guy like it sounds like it just feels really good to give especially in a channel that you're so familiar with now and it gives you that opportunity to do so yeah and it's really easy to as well <laughs> you know but i remember how important it was to me to receive and then when i realized how easy it is to give uh, you know, um, Sonia would and I would have these phone dates and she would just phone up and um, ask me questions. So all I had to do is lie there on the couch and answer them, you know. It was, <laughs> How great. Right, it's, I had to prepare a class or anything like that. She had some questions and sometimes they were just the expressions of insecurity or fears or whatever. Um, again, having somebody like you be able to, to say to me, you know, trust your gut too. Right. Um, cause mm -hmm. that when you, I think when you're starting out, you're sort of second guessing, uh, second guessing yourself so much, um, that for you to be able to flag to me, you know, um, so like, especially with, yeah, with directing and your collaborators are so critical to what the end, end result is going to be. Yeah. And at the end of the day, um, you said that to me that it's going to be your short film. It's yeah. going to be nobody else's. It's going to be yours. Um, yeah. No matter how much work other people do on it, they'll never get proper credit. It's just the way it works. Um, and some of them will resent you for it. And that's the way that works and, and stuff. But you need collaborators who are generous of spirit and um, that understand. I was able to at least sit there on the, my couch, an old man holding a phone and uh, impart some experiences to you. No, well, it sounds like it was uh, incredibly helpful for this project. And it sounds like the project, as you said, uh, Sonia, got released during COVID. And it's now been a couple of years since. I wonder, you know, after that initial project, that sounds like there was an intense flurry of activity and the mentor-mentee relationship really flourished. How has it progressed since, after that project completed? What's been going on uh, since then, Sonia? Um, I've, uh, I had received a, um, a grant to develop a script and, and I'm now, um, in the process of, uh, seeking financing for it. So, um, that's keeping me very busy, but, um, Guy and I still, uh, again, he, I, we still write to each other <laughs> periodically. Yeah. <laughs> um, I still seek advice. I still pester him. Um, always happy to hear. Always happy to hear. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so so yeah, that from there it's um yeah, I'm I'm trying to mount my next uh, my next short. It's 
far more, it's even more ambitious. It's, it's much more ambitious than my first one. Um, and it's uh, is inspired by the life of my uh, Italian grandfather who passed away uh, the first week of lockdown and he was living his final years with dementia. And um, I've, I wrote a story inspired by him and his life. And it's a little bit documentary. It's a little bit fantasy, um, which is very Guy Madden, I think. Um, sorry. Um, I approve. Does the project have a name yet, Sonia? Um, it, it's, I'm Postcards from the Sky currently is what sky. so we'll look for that and it's uh, currently <laughs> seeking financing is it, it is anybody out there you know it's uh yep <laughs> well we'll put your uh we'll put your contact info in the uh, show notes so people can get in touch with you and and guy like you know i don't know if the the network has a fixed period of time when they ask you to become a mentor you know so now we're several years into it it sounds like this is 2024 it could be all getting on five years so yeah. after that first project, how did you feel about continuing the relationship, um, you know, relative to whatever the initial commitment was at the beginning? That's fine. We've become friends. So I'm, I'm always here if, for suggestions. Um, but I don't know, you know, in a way, Sonia's out on her own now because I don't know how to seek financing for a short film. I, um Sonia, I can't remember if you paid anyone or not. You did pay them a bit. I did, I yeah. Um, yes, I, I can proudly say that. Uh, yes, yeah, everybody. Um, I was lucky also to have a lot of really good. Um, well, obviously, I had the the support from Equity Showcase, um, uh, the Kale Turnit Awards, and then I also had some really great sponsors who who um, came on board uh, to help with things like color correct and. Um, uh, equipment rentals yeah. and all of that, but uh, but yeah, we it was also a tiny tiny crew. Uh, you know, I, I yeah. shot it in my in my apartment and uh, you know painted repainted yeah. my apartment. <laughs> I still had oh, paint God, on missed, my hands. <laughs> I miss those days. I just finished uh, shooting a movie with about a one hundred person crew in in Hungary, and um, it's everything just moves. It was a great time. Don't forget. Uh, don't get me wrong, but um, I miss the days where, you know, I've shot feature films in my own apartment. Um, my first two feature films were at least partly, if not almost entirely, shot in my home. And um, they were, you know, painted sets that stood in for other things. I just love the the homemade sort of can do the advantage of having your own apartment is that you can almost shoot whenever you want. <laughs> I owned my own camera and I owned a couple of lights and I was um, ready to go whenever I could get an actor to come over. And sometimes I'd make a dinner for an actor and shoot just their shots of a scene and give them a, give them dinner and give them a beer after and uh, <laughs> drive them. You know, it was, I, I kind of loved that organic level of filmmaking and, I know you had a much more tight shooting schedule, but you were shooting in your home, which gave you a lot of freedom. You didn't have to pay uh, studio fees or, um, I don't know, there's just that level of, I think good films can come out of thinking more organically, like like you were forced to on your project. Right on. So, and and Guy, what's your project called so we can look out for it, the one that you just were shooting? Yeah, I co-directed it with a couple of, uh, with my now decades long partnership pals, uh, Evan and Galen Johnson, they're a pair of brothers. 
that are much younger than I am. They're 42 and 40, respectively. I'm 67. Um, and we've been working together for about a decade. And um, it's called Rumors. And um, it's actually got movie stars in it and everything. It's got Kate Blanchett and Alicia Vikander and um, among the Oscar winners. And then um, some other great actors, too, from many different countries. And um, so... I'm, rumors looking forward yeah. to it so yeah, so just um with a few minutes left you know this is a career buzz and it's a career themed uh show and mm -hmm. you've each had some interesting stories in your careers i wonder if i can ask for one quick turning point in your career um sonia i know you've been in film you said at the beginning for over 10 years what well, what's a turning point in your story that that um you know led you to where you are now um, yeah, I mean, directing is a, is, a, is the obvious one now, um, at, uh, you know, I went on my way to be, you know, working as an interior designer and, um, as an intermediate interior designer. And then I, one of the architects I was working for shared an office with a production designer and, and she would, you know, she'd come back from her day and I started asking her questions and it just sparked everything again of, of just, going, I want to do that. I want to, you know, um, and I was very naive. I remember walking on, literally walking onto a film set saying, can I talk to the production designer? And so at the time, everybody said, you know, this is a terrible time to be getting into film. Hmm. Um, and I went out West. I uh, packed up my bags and moved to Vancouver and <laughs> uh, started working there as a, as an art department assistant. And then, yeah. And then here I am now. <laughs> Yeah. Years later. Nice story. Well, we'll invite listeners to uh, find Sonia Jamidi on IMDb and look at all those credits that you've had. So great, great story about moving from interior design to film. And and Guy Madden, on your on your end, what's one turning point in your story that you can share? I was trying to think of what a turning point would be. I would have to just say that it's a turning point in my life that because my career's sort of just been focused on making films ever since I started, but. I didn't always want to be a filmmaker. Uh, when I was 24, I had my first marriage to a very dear friend of mine, the mother of my only child, um, uh, ended because we were both too young and ridiculous um, to be married, but it ended. And um, I found during the 15 months that we'd been married that I'd lost track of almost all my friends somehow i guess things were changing quickly while i was um changing diapers um during those days and had no idea what to do and then all of a sudden i just ran into a, a bunch of people that um were into film and theater of all things and then i even met a, a few filmmakers local filmmakers um that awakened in me the possibility that someone in Winnipeg could actually make a movie. I didn't think that was possible. And I remember seeing the first film made in Winnipeg. It was by a filmmaker named John Pays, a longtime filmmaker in residence at the um, at the Norman Jewison um, Canadian Film Center. And he, he made a film called The Obsession of Billy Botsky in 1980. And he brought it to a class to show it. And it was so good. And the class was cracking up and amazed at how beautiful it was. The colors were so saturated and, and the acting was um, 
stylized in non-Hollywood ways, but it worked anyway. I couldn't believe that this guy had cracked the code, that he had made a film just starring Winnipeg non-actors that actually worked. And um, it was a huge revelation to me. And I remember thinking during that time, I want to be a filmmaker. And I just ran up to him after. I was too scared to ask a question during the Q&A period after he showed his movie. But I went straight up to him and I, I asked him, how, how much did that film cost? And he said it cost $5,000. That was in 1980. So whatever that would be now, $20,000. And um, he made it all himself. It was 30 minutes long. And I remember just thinking, I had an aunt who had just passed away and left me $5,000. And I was thinking, I'm going to make a film. <laughs> you know, So I guess that was when it happened. I didn't start for a couple of years later because I was a slacker, a term that hadn't been coined yet, um, and so much in my own head. But I just kept reading and kept daydreaming about making a movie. And then I came up with a script and shot it. But it was, it was that that moment of just seeing a film, uh, seeing John's film. Great stories, both of you. Like the, the stories of getting into film, you know, and you, you had this affinity for it and wanting to move in that direction. And you moved, even though you didn't know that much about it. And the $5,000 part of that story, Guy, like it just so happened that the $5,000 was, you know, wow, I could do a film. So yeah, thanks for sharing those stories. If there's If there's one thing that you might share with listeners, you know, you both have had some zigzags in your careers and stories if there's something that you've learned personally uh from your story that you might share with listeners what what might that be just to wrap up sonia um <laughs> to not you can't be afraid to fail um and i think right now uh, i'm also working through um the um you have to allow the discomfort of of getting outside of your uh comfort zone. I've always been a person that likes to kind of be behind the scenes. Uh, and with directing, it's forced me to sort of step forward. And um, so, yeah, I'd say failure and uh, discomfort. <laughs> nice. Thanks. And Guy Madden, what's one thing you might share with listeners about? Is that, I don't know. I've, I've even as recently as last year had my grave backhoed open here in Winnipeg. So, um, yeah, there's some ups and downs for sure got to just deal with it. No one cares. And no one will know, you know, um, no one will know what you're going through. They'll just look at your movie, basically, uh, if you're lucky down the road. If you're like a tremendous success, they'll look at your movie and they'll never suspect all the nuttiness and mental health issues you had or anything. They'll just, unless you put them right in your movie, of course. Just <laughs> what, right. who, what idiot would do yeah. that? I don't know. <laughs> well, that way I could get um, attention <laughs> for all the things I pity uh, myself over and um, also get a film out of the deal. So, Well, thanks so much um, for joining us here on Career Buzz as a mentor, mentee from the Canadian Artists Network. Thanks so much, Sonia, Jamidi, Guy Mad, and thanks for uh, joining us here on Career Buzz. Thank you. Thanks, Bye. Mark. Thanks for having us. You've been listening to Career Buzz. I'm your host, Mark Franklin. You can find out more about us and about career counseling for you or someone you care about at careercycles.com. If you have any comments on this episode, please email me. It's mark at careercycles.com. Technical production was by Heidi Hung. Subscribe to Career Buzz on your favorite podcast app and find it at the podcast link 
on CareerCycles.com. Catch Career Buzz every Wednesday at 11 a.m. here on CIUT. That's it for today's episode of Career Buzz. Thanks for listening.